and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today we continue with part two of our Tourism Awards special series. Kia ora, Chambers. Kia ora, Michelle. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I have to say, after completing some of these interviews, I'm feeling really inspired. I know, right? Meeting new people and the competition's hot. Oh, yes. I feel a little bit sorry for those judges. I know I did say I wanted to be a judge last week. (laughs) I think they've got a pretty tough job this year from what we've seen. But anyway, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've still got about eight weeks left to go of interviews. So, hey, but first, before we kick off into this week's episode, we do have to draw the winner from last week's competition that we were running on Instagram to win the Altitude Tours Wine Sampler Tour for two in Queenstown. You don't have to draw because obviously I won it, right? (laughs) I think you didn't read the fine print there, Chambers. But look, I can't show our listeners because obviously it's a podcast, but (laughs) I'm watching to make sure someone does get drawn. Yes, you can you can see, and I'm just gonna put that in. We've got all of our entrants in here, and I'm just gonna dig right to the bottom. Drum roll. Yep, drum roll. And oh, the winner is. I've only got their um, Instagram handles on this as well. So the winner is Lou the Beauty Foodie. Lou the Beauty Foodie. So I would say, judging by that, they're probably a pretty perfect person to go and do a wine tour, just saying. But anyway, Lou the Beauty Foodie, we will be in touch later this morning to get your details so we can get you the prize. So congratulations. Congratulations. If you need someone to join you, I'm sure I can arrange it. Yes, you're closer than me, but I'm happy to fly down if you want to pay for me. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Oh, well, congratulations. And I guess that kicks us into our show, right? So today we um, welcome the three finalists. We kick off with Lauren Heafy from Christchurch NZ, who is a finalist in the Parta NZ Trust Emerging Tourism Leader Award. Lauren is Christchurch NZ's General Manager of Destination and Attraction. Tasked with enhancing and exploring the visitor experience in Auto Tahe Christchurch through her leadership of the Christchurch NZ Convention Bureau, the Canterbury Film Office and international education teams. She also oversees major events and tourism, destination management and industry liaison responsibilities. Of Te Atirawa descent, Lauren has extensive experience in senior tourism and major events roles including with Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development, ATEED, Nati Fatua, Oraki, and Nelson Tasman Tourism. And then the next guest after that is a really interesting one. It's Dr. Arthur Chin from the New Zealand Nature Highlights. And if you haven't heard of this business, it's okay because it's an online experience. New Zealand Nature Highlights has been ranked by Airbnb as a top-rated experience and has been featured in China and South Korea. New Zealand Nature Highlights is the first online tourism business to receive a silver Qualmark accreditation in March this year. And here he is now as a tourism award finalist in the NZME Visitor Experience Award. Arthur relocated from Singapore to New Zealand in 1996. And since 2012, he's been living on a lifestyle farm in Palmerston North. 
He started hosting virtual farm tours on Airbnb during the 2020 Great Lockdown with the goal of sharing his passion for farming with folks from around the world. And I have no doubt you'll really enjoy this interview. Oh, he was lovely. And after that, we chat with Jolanda Kay from Natahu Tourism about Dark River Adventures. Dark River Adventures are also a finalist in the NZME Visitor Experience Award. Jolanda joined the Natahu Tourism Whanau in May 2016, first as business manager of Shot Over Jet, and then in July 2017, she became general manager of Jet Boat Operations. In this position, Jolanda provides senior leaderships to Natahu Tourism's portfolio of Jet Boat related businesses, each with its own unique differentiation, challenges and varied audiences. Jolanda has a clear passion for and expertise in building capability and ensuring safety remains at the forefront of everything that the jet boat businesses do. Prior to work at Natahu Tourism, Jolanda was at Tourism Holdings Limited, where she worked as general manager for Kiwi Experience. And before she held senior roles in both the inbound and outbound tourism sectors, as well as the cruise sector. Jolanda's love of the tourism industry is evident from the moment we hear her talk. She speaks with passion and conviction and with an awareness that comes from a profound understanding of the industry. Yep, she sure does. So as you can see, some real talent on the show once again. And this is only part two. So uh, yeah, it's really exciting for us. But before we head off and listen to the interviews, we have another competition for you. And this time it's exclusively for our listeners. Yes, that's you. Mm -hmm. So Jolanda and the Dart River team have kindly donated two adult Funyak adventure passes valued at $598. So for those of you who don't know what Funyaks are, they're basically kayaks. So this unmissable experience combines the exhilaration of a wilderness jet boat ride with a leisurely downstream float on their easy to use Funyaks. With a sumptuous lunch included, this trip is ideal for the whole family. And if you only do one tour in Queenstown, this is it. The diversity and value of what's on offer in this full day of adventure is second to none. Okay, so how do you win? Well, head to our website, destinatenz.com forward slash competitions and fill out the form there to tell us what your favorite episode of the podcast has been to date so far and why. Easy, right? Hailing. So given this is a huge prize, we're going to let this one run a little longer and we'll make the prize draw on the 23rd of November and announce it on our final Tourism Awards podcast on the 24th of November. So you've got plenty of time to catch up on all of our episodes and decide which one is your favourite and you might be a winner alongside some of these amazing finalists as well. So that's destinatenz.com forward slash competitions. Really easy. Really easy. But now sit back and relax. Or put your headphones on and go for a walk. And enjoy the show. Kia ora. Our first guest today needs no introduction. She has been a guest on our show before in one of our biggest episodes. So please welcome Aparta New Zealand Trust Emerging Tourism Leader Award finalist, Lauren Heafy. Kia ora. Kia ora, Lauren. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome Thank back. <laughs> and congratulations on your finalist nomination. Thank you. 
you want to tell us, Lauren, a little bit about your career in tourism to date, in a nutshell? Yeah, uh, it's quite funny. I think I had a few people say that they were really surprised that I still was eligible as an emerging um, tourism leader because it felt like I'd been in the industry for a long time. But I have actually only been in tourism for for 10 years. So I just scraped in into the criteria. And actually, my first role in tourism was as international marketing manager at Nelson Tasman Tourism with Linda Keane as my chief executive at the time. So she gave me my my first foray into the industry. But it definitely felt to me like I I was always meant to be when I ended up in tourism. I sort of started out studying law, which was an atrocious decision. And my mum actually said to me when I started law, she was like, I just don't really feel like this is you. And because I was rebellious, I rebelled against her and continued to study law because I was (laughs) really offended that I was like, don't you think I could be a lawyer? Uh, Actually, it just turns out she knew me quite well. So yeah, so I also came out with a Bachelor of Arts in communications and sort of moved into marketing and and living overseas and and did a few things in marketing and trade and export and, and then ended up back in Nelson working with Linda and it was just amazing as soon as I got into that industry and that's where I first met you Chambers pretty much my first week yes (laughs) Um, yeah just I mean I I obviously um, can talk pretty well and in tourism when you can talk well you you go all right (laughs) so um, yeah (laughs) and it just the love affair started from there so has grown and I I mean I uh, moved up to Auckland after being at Nelson Tasman Tourism just when you work in regional economies like Nelson you don't have a huge amount of scope for roles so I had a a stint at Ngāti Whātua Orake developing their tourism strategy and then into Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development and was eventually sort of headhunted for this role down here in Christchurch as the General Manager of Destination and Attraction and I've had a lot of imposter syndrome in this job, but have sort of grown into it. And I was thinking, you know, because obviously we've just come out of another lockdown and we were talking about resilience fatigue and I'm exhausted. I know everyone else will be exhausted and reflected on my my sort of three and a half, four years here. And, you know, we've gone through, obviously Christchurch is an earthquake rebuild anyway, which is a really cool reason why I wanted to come here to promote a destination that is new and exciting and rebuilding but that and then the shootings and then you know all the COVID lockdowns on top of it and I've just got a team I'm sure everyone does that is just wiped out so anyway it was really nice to get some good news and and become a finalist in the in the awards so I'm really excited so yeah yeah absolutely and good on you and I know last time you were on the show we talked a lot about resilience and it's amazing that I, I guess it's something that we all need to have but I don't think anybody any of us realized that we'd need so much resilience especially over these past sort of five five or so years in the tourism industry right yeah yeah absolutely and it's just going on and on I think you can start with the adrenaline that's okay and that your that time feels stressful but but manageable it's just when it goes on and on yeah I actually re-watched Bill Murray and Groundhog Day the other day just because I was like <laughs> referring to that movie so much. <laughs> oh dear. So what do you count as your biggest achievements in your career to date? 
For me, I, I could talk about some really kind of tourism-related ones, but actually my biggest ones has just been working with people and, and developing other people's careers and, and their future legacies. I think co-founding Young Tech was a really exciting legacy to bring into the industry and has sort of gone from strength to strength. And I've always been quite passionate about helping grow people and inspiring people to work in our industry. And as I've taken on more leadership roles, that has been one of my proudest things to see. Actually, one of my former staff, Nicole Botting, is also a finalist uh, in the awards, which is so cool because, you know, I've been able to be part of her career journey. And so that that's really exciting for me. And then the last uh, three or four years here in, in Christchurch, we had some awesome achievements in Auckland, but Auckland always felt like those achievements were going to happen anyway, if that makes sense. But Auckland had a platform where it was set up for success already. And I didn't I didn't do much to develop that. I just capitalized on on that success and made a lot of things happen, but they were already sort of in the pipeline. Here in Christchurch, it's been really grassroots, ground up, working to support um, the industry down here in building their own resilience, their their depth of knowledge and how to get themselves to market and and then through COVID to reposition Christchurch as a domestic destination has been one of the coolest things. And so we are up 65% in domestic visitor spend on pre-COVID. And part of that, I think, is to do with the fact that we've really repositioned the way we talk about the city and the way people see it. But the brand promises that we make are fulfilled when you get here mm. because the infrastructure and the developments that have happened down here and we've been able to be part of those and really help businesses develop in their storytelling and their brand so that the brand promise when you get here, it's an epic place to come to. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, I'm benefiting from some of the vision that people had post-quake, but just being part of that has been probably one of my career highlights. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And what do you love most about working in the tourism industry? Oh, look, I'm a natural people person and the fact that it's about giving people a good time. (laughs) I just, you know, I love engaging with people. I love uh, the networks that you develop, the relationships that you develop. It's a real whānau industry and it's had such a hard time, but the people that are the cornerstone of this industry just continue to support each other, which I, I absolutely love. And I also, I mean, it sounds super hokey, but I genuinely love our country so the, and our place. So the ability to be able to show that to the world, I really love. Mm. I, and I also feel like we are part of the lifeblood of New Zealand, of the economy and who we are, Manaki Tanga at, at its heart. So I think for me, you know, I, I strive to attract like, like-minded people into our organisation who, who believe in the purpose as well. And and we have developed a real purpose-led culture here where we're doing it for the greater good for the city and the region and the country. And those three things um, are what kind of get, why everyone in our team, I think, gets up every day. And we have shit days, um, as we all do, especially in COVID. But we also have the luxury of having a job uh, mm-hmm. in tourism at the moment, which is a really big deal. And so we have to kind of turn up with empathy and optimism and a plan so that we can support our industry. But but I think that's really why I love it, because we're giving back. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Now, I know, Lauren, you're, you've got a really busy job, but what other industry bodies or activities do you get involved with outside of your daily work? Oh, God, probably too many, I think, <laughs> to be honest. Um, uh, a little bit of a sucker for punishment. So I sit on the board of the Tourism Export Council of New Zealand, which is uh, really great, but obviously quite a grind in terms of those guys, particularly the inbound tour operators, r- relying wholly on the international market. So that is a lot of lobbying and advocacy to central government to try and achieve some funding outcomes for that sector. I also chair the New Zealand Event Association, again, another really hard hit sector, especially actually right now with the new event rules that, you know, gatherings can't be more than 50 people. Mm. Uh, One of the interesting things I think COVID has done for New Zealand has actually highlighted that for domestic tourism, events are a massive driver. I think they just kind of got... People knew about it, but they didn't get prioritised as part of the whole tourism economy. And so so Mm. that has been recognised. And then I also recently, about three or four months ago, was appointed to um, the Services Workforce Development Council, which is a, a central government governance group designed to lead the reform of vocational education. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole lot of, jar- that sounds like a whole lot of jargony words, but basically all of the industry training organisations and the polytechnics in New Zealand have been put under one um, umbrella and uh, that umbrella is the 15th largest tertiary organisation in the world. Wow. Uh, And so the purpose of this reform of vocational education is to make it more about getting people into those careers, but also to make learning much more hands-on and practical for careers as opposed to theoretical and academic. Mm. And so I, I'm the tourism representative on the Workforce Development Council to lead the, the needs of our rangatahi, our youth, and also our elder people who are reskilling into, into a new sector to, to learn about tourism and the services industry and, and to do some really good frameworks so that people can learn on the job, they can get qualifications on the job. So it's really exciting. It's a totally different way to do education. And it's kind of like running a startup for central government, which is crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, really awesome. And, and for that, for me, someone who's quite purpose-led the ability to support youth, particularly in our tourism sector, where you see, you know, we have a huge amount of women working in our industry, a large amount of Pacifica and Māori, a, a large reliance on immigration. And so those are all vulnerable groups where there are challenges at the moment to get enough um, people in the workforce because those are also the jobs that tend to go, the lower level service jobs, frontline jobs. So the vulnerability from COVID-19 for those people in their jobs means they need really good education to give them the skills that they need in case they have to be redeployed or move mm-hmm. forward. So, yeah, so just a few things. Yes. <laughs> Nothing like sitting still for too long, Lauren. No. Um, <laughs> on that note, though, how do you manage with everything else that you have going on in your world, your own professional development and upskilling and getting yourself into the next place that you want to be? It's a funny question. Our uh, our chief executive recently has resigned. She's gone through a, a nine-month sort of challenge with breast cancer and that sort of goes on. And for her own well-being has found, you know, another job that isn't quite so political and stressful. And I'm absolutely delighted for her. But that has been 
a long period of kind of learning how to support someone in a chief executive role when they're not there. So mm-hmm. how, how you step up into that. And she sort of had a conversation with me about two weeks ago about what my professional development looks like moving forwards. And I actually said to her, I think I just need to um, like just do my job as it is for a little while and not go through any more change or or challenges. And I think sometimes it's okay to just take a break from developing yourself and just focus on what you're doing so you can do it well. And then when you come to the time when you go, okay, I'm ready to look at what's next, knowing that of yourself. But I do, you know, I'm a avid reader. I read a lot of industry publications. I did start my MBA, which was a stupid idea to be frank um, with a small child and all these other (laughs) things. So slightly put that on pause and we'll see. And I also had to think, is it is professional development, does it need to be formal qualifications? And I actually don't think it does. You know, it's about on-the-job training. It's about speaking to mentors. It's about much more so on modern leadership. It's about resilience and self-awareness in a 360-degree survey of who you come across as. And I've had some good feedback about how others perceive me compared to how I perceive myself because I naturally feel that I'm empathetic and kind and supportive but I think mm-hmm. when people first meet me they think I'm I get words like intimidating or a lot <laughs> charismatic you know some some good some not so good words and it's not how I see myself I, and so that's even a learning and just kind of softening your edges as a leader mm. so yeah wow there's a lot in that well thanks Lauren yeah. yeah what tips do you have for the emerging leaders of tomorrow Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, I think being open-minded, taking on feedback and critique, constantly challenging yourself, but also being kind to yourself. What I see in a lot of my team uh, or people that I mentor uh, is people comparing themselves to other people and where they're at in their career and why aren't they there or why is their path different? And I think it's really important for everyone to realise that their own individual journey is theirs and it's equally relevant and Mm -hmm. valid. Mm -hmm. Um, And people in leadership roles are also, I I don't know if you've ever read, there's a Guardian article which is titled, Yes, Really, Everyone is Literally Just Winging It. And (laughs) it's, it's like about how even like Barack Obama and everyone is just going, Fuck, I don't know. (laughs) And and so just kind of trusting your instinct, being humble with that, admitting when you don't know the answer and and that will see you succeed. So, yeah, I think I compared myself and was like, oh, I must get to there, I must get to there and have recently started to realise that that's, just inappropriate <laughs> to compare yourself <laughs> to other people. They're not the same. Yeah, It's not a great way to go through your career, just to kind of embrace what you've achieved and, and go, hey, that's pretty good. And enjoy the moments. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we're all guilty of that at some stage. And I don't know whether that's a female thing more so than male but it is something I think there's some really good tips in there what you've shared and in Mm. terms of just remembering that it is an individual journey and that you can't compare yourself to others because no two journeys are the same 
No. No. And, and there's such random things like timing, people that you meet, yep. um, a conversation that you happened to have five years ago that sparked an idea in you that meant you followed, you know, like it, yeah, that's totally. how different it is. It's the sliding yeah. doors kind of concept, yeah. isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, yeah. and, you know, there's also those choices about where you want to live or if you want to, if you're happy to, you've moved for your career, Lauren, and some people yeah. may not want to do that or or have the ability to do that. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's they're all, all factors that need to be taken into account. So oh, hey, Lauren, I, I just want to ask one more question. Obviously, this is amazing that you've made it to the finalist, which is, you know, congratulations. But I'd really love to know what would it mean for you if you were to win? Oh God! Uh, I think uh, I actually don't. It's not about the recognition because I think for me the process of applying. This is why I think applying for jobs sometimes is quite good too because you suddenly look at your achievements or your CV and you reflect on yourself and you go, "Wow, actually, I've I've done." awesome stuff and or okay here are some things I need to develop so I find that reflection process quite good and actually there's a real it's a kind of tall poppy thing when because you have to apply for this award right it's not like somebody else yeah goes, hey I'm going to nominate you so there's a little bit of awkwardness about that where you there's a vulnerability where you're putting yourself forwards yep. and and also there's a little bit of ego uh, attached to that. And that, so I just, mm-hmm. that's a little bit uncomfortably with me, but I think it's just around, I'd love it, it to be able to, if I were to win, just to be able to say, hey, I'm actually a young Māori woman who didn't even know about tourism and have discovered this amazing industry. And, you know, if you want to, get into the industry I totally recommend it and just use it as kind of a platform to support some of our younger people and and knowing that it can be done and that that they can kind of build their career too yeah and hopefully I get a trophy I don't know and I'll probably put that on (laughs) (laughs) I don't know something like that drink some champagne out of it I don't know <laughs> maybe not right now yeah no, no. <laughs> down the line yeah. down the line we'll help you yeah thank you <laughs> cool hey well Lauren congratulations once again and look I, I think it's amazing that all of you who are finalists have put yourselves up for this award and and probably taken yourselves a little bit out of your comfort zone as you say to do that but I think once again I've really enjoyed chatting to you I think our listeners will all grab some great tips out of what you've shared with us today and we wish you all the best at the tourism awards and we'll be listening in and hoping I love oh and so I mean so cool for Eve and Nicole too they're such you know mana wahine awesome strong women and great to see Three females. Three women. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Three females. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're very excited to see that. So, yeah. Congratulations and, and good luck on the night. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Love this yeah. uh, work that you're doing. So, keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now, we welcome Arthur Chin to the show. Arthur runs New Zealand Nature Highlights and is a finalist in the NZME Visitor Experience Award. So welcome to the show, Arthur. Kia ora. Oh, kia ora. And thank you for having me, Michelle and Lisa. Good to see you both. Nice yeah. to see you. 
And congratulations on being named a finalist in the Tourism Awards. That's a great achievement. Must be really exciting for you. Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you. I feel absolutely privileged and very humbled um, to be nominated as a finalist. And it's terribly exciting for me as well. I don't think I've ever won or ever been nominated for anything. So to get to receive this nomination, it's it means a lot to me. Thank you. Oh, that's so oh, cool. That's awesome. Um, so before we kick off, Arthur, can you tell us a little bit about your business? Uh, absolutely, and I'd be delighted to do so. So New Zealand Nature Highlights offer a live streaming farm experience for my lifestyle farm here in Palmerston North. And through Airbnb experience and Zoom, I would live stream my farm experience to anyone uh, with an internet connection. So um, over the past 12 months, I've hosted over 400 farm tours to over 4,500 paying guests from 32 countries. And yes, despite the fact that borders have been shut, through the use of Zoom and Airbnb online experiences, I've been able to reach out to paying customers from around the world. And that's been terribly exciting in a sense that um, I was, I've been able to meet with different people from around the world, but more importantly, to be able to showcase our beautiful country, Aotearoa, but at the same time, share my passion about my farm animals and of course, global warming and ecosystem topics, which are really passionate to me. That sounds really cool. So can you give us a little bit of an insight into what the visitors experience on your online tour? Oh, absolutely. So, so, so what I've done, Michelle, is that I've realized very at an early set is, is that trying to convert very much what is um, historically an in-person experience into an online format um, requires me to go back to the drawing board in terms of designing a farm experience, which I'm able to deliver online, but also more importantly, keep customers engaged as well. So that's what I've done. So essentially, I've designed a um, farm experience from ground up trying to get a good understanding of what customers expect, that's one. But more importantly, to make sure that um, the experience could be delivered online through my cell phone and have an opportunity and for the customers to have an opportunity to ask me any questions that they have. So one of the, bene one of the benefits with a live streaming um, experience or activity is the fact that any customer can ask me any questions, they can interrupt me they can ask me any questions whenever they have you know whenever the question pops into mind and by doing so this allows me to maintain a high level of engagements with the customer and what I also do is that uh, during the farm tours I would ensure that I cover off topics such as ecosystems and global warming and we know for a fact that sustainability is very very important to a lot of people and we're just coming to terms with the impact of climate change and what this means for us and of course, we, we, have, we know that farming is one of those sectors that's heavily challenged by sustainability. And so during each of the farm tours, I'll cover off topics on climate change and in a way reassure um, any of my guests that we are passionate about what we do in New Zealand. But more importantly, we don't farm for the sake of farming, but we farm largely because we are also conscious of our role in the global environment. Wow. Cool. <clears throat> that sounds amazing. And so... With that an awesome visitor experience, I mean, I, I, I can pick quite a few of why I think it's so special, but why do you think it's so special, Arthur? Well, I think for a fact, uh, it's, well, I think for one, it's the fact that with an online experience, anyone with a smartphone or tablet, and we know that most people around the world, they have their own smartphones or tablets, and with a credit card, they're able to join up uh, onto a farm experience. 
So if you think about the fact that New Zealand is pretty much top on the list of most people's bucket list of countries to visit, but in reality, is that um, the physical distance from where they are, financial costs, or even physical impairments means that it may be difficult for them to come onto a farm when they are in New Zealand or if they travel to New Zealand. But yet again, with a technology such as cell phone or tablet, they're able to watch a farm tour and join for the com- from the comforts of their living room or from corporate offices. So this gives them a good opportunity to enjoy New Zealand wherever they are from. And, and I suspect that, and I suspect that with, with them having an opportunity to see New Zealand from a distance, it gives them a sense of belongingness. And when borders reopen, I'm pretty certain, at least based on the feedback which I've received, I'm pretty certain that a lot of people will be rushing to visit us in person. <laughs> they certainly will, Arthur. And to you particularly. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we all hope so. So you talked a little bit about sustainability and global warming. There's a lot of talk here, obviously, with Tourism New Zealand promoting the Tiaki promise. How do you bring that through your business and, you know, demonstrate that in an online way? Absolutely. And you know what? Being an online experience means that everything could be delivered digitally. It's not just the delivery, but also the management side of the business is Mm -hmm. delivered very much digitally. So mm-hmm. I'm really pleased to say that we hardly do any printing or our advertising is delivered online. And at the same time, communications and the booking systems that we have with clients, including the accounting systems, everything holistically delivered online. So I do have an old printer, which I keep, which I have had with me for probably the last 15 years, <laughs> but I hardly do any printing at all. Everything is true online. Yeah. And of course, in an age where we have social media, the likes of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, WeChat, this is where we are able to deliver a, a range of advertising online without the need for printing. But at the same time, um, I'm also very conscious of playing my role as an operator within the tourism sector to ensure that we do our part in terms of promoting um, the challenges that we face with climate change. Mm-hmm. So in each of the farm tours, as I said earlier, I'll try to incorporate topics such as ecosystems, what, we, what I've put in place on my lifestyle farm in terms of ensuring that, ensuring that there's sustainability but also how we treat the waste that we generate on a farm and as well as how we uh, recycle the water that we obviously um, use on a farm and that gets treated before it gets discharged um, across into the paddocks. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So what part do customer insights play into your visitor experience then? Oh, I think it's, it's really significant. So I'm conscious that with my customers, they will come from different parts of the world and, and some of them, they may have, significant amount of knowledge about you know what they're looking for but with some customers they are just joining up having little to no expectations so from an insights point of view the one of the beauty of um, being an online operator is that we generate a lot of feedback and we receive a lot of feedback from customers and based on the feedback we can fine-tune what the expectations are and reject the farm experience and to push it out so one of the things um, that I've worked on significantly hard is that when I first started, I had one set uh, one set gig or one set piece, which I was rolling out. But very quickly, I realized that I was getting school groups, I was getting corporate organizations who were quite keen for their employees to sign up during lockdown and obviously working from home. So I started developing different content and different materials, which I thought would be relevant for different um, demographic. So nice. right now, I have five different set pieces. 
we have yeah. uh, we have a pretty much content for school groups. We have content for corporate um, organizations. There could be a little bit more adventurous in terms of some of the topics that we discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, all the content are relevant to New Zealand. But at the same time, it is a holistic experience which a young family can enjoy as well as, as a corporate organization. Wow, That's brilliant. So That's absolutely brilliant. I noticed that you do private tours as well as the scheduled tours that people can book into. With those private tours, is that where you're able to have a lot more discussion with the customers around their expectations and what they'd like to achieve? Uh, absolutely. I'll give you a good example here, Michelle. So it would have been about four months ago, I've uh, received a booking from um, Intuity. And Intuity is one of the world's largest um, accounting firm. And I do believe that they are part of Salesforce. So I received a, a request for to host a farm tour for approximately 350 of their participants um, who were all signing in from different parts of the world and joining a corporate conference. One of the challenges, which um, I've, it was a big boo-boo for me, I forgot the fact about, you know, obviously seasonal difference. And when I first received the booking request, that was over summer. And I forgot and I did not realize the fact that at um, seven o'clock in the morning during winter, it would still be pitch dark. Unfortunately, being a corporate event, it was not possible for me to amend the date or the time. So what I did, Michelle, was that... Um, I went to Kmart and I bought myself a whole lot of LED lights and I set the LED lights um, around the paddocks and voila, I developed a content or rather I developed possibly New Zealand's first Twilight Farm experience. It went down very, very well, incredibly well, I must say. And um, most of the participants, they absolutely loved it. I think it was a good opportunity for them to experience a farm tour, but in a very different context. But I think more importantly, I was able to cater to what the requirements are, which was at 7 a.m. during winter. Mm -hmm. And no health and safety concerns whatsoever with that, because, of course, they're all sitting on Zoom. Precisely, precisely. Not for them, but you know, one of the challenges again with online experience is that I mean, I'm not, I'm not a farmer. I'm a lifestyle farmer. I'm just trying to portray from an amateur point of view my passion for my farm animals, and I do make mistakes. There's been instances that I've slipped on the ground just because it's slippery, but of course, I'll try to ensure ensure that all the health and safety requirements are addressed. Yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> so, so what made you enter the Tourism Awards? Yeah, I thought it was a really good opportunity, you know, just, just to see where I stand amongst uh, the you know, uh, amongst my colleagues across the sector. And, and I have to say, I'm very new to the sector. I've only been in the sector for just over the year. And, and this is where I'm just trying to get a good sense of, of, of what I'm trying, of what I'm doing and to, to get a sense of, you know, where I stand amongst um, my other colleagues. So I put in an application, not having any expectations, but um, at the same time, wanting to see, you know, wanting to see where I stand from an operator point of view. And obviously wow. you stand in very good stead because you are on the top four. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Not many people apply for award within Thank their you. first year of um, operating. So <laughs> that speaks t- testament to what you're achieving. Well done. And I think I already know the answer to my question that I'm going to ask, but what would it mean for you, Arthur, if you were to win? Uh, I think it'd be incredibly exciting. As I said earlier, I've never won anything in my life. So that would be definitely one of the first. (laughs) But but I think think it goes a long long way to show that online experience definitely has a role to play uh, in the tourism sector. We know for a fact that with border closures, it's been 
very, very difficult for our sector. And I feel really sorry for many of my colleagues, my newfound colleagues who are struggling each day. And I do want to share the message that if I can make this work, anyone with you know, a lot more experience can definitely create a lot more, a, a much better successful online experience. And, and this perhaps is the way to go in the future as uh, we're likely to see with COVID, it means that our borders may open or shut and it might linger on for the next few years. Hopefully not too long, but in the meantime, online experience could be um, a viable option for many tourism operators. Yeah, wow. So this award is obviously for the best visitor experience in New Zealand. What do you think the ingredients are for a great visitor experience? Mm, let me see. Well, um, I mean, come to mind, I think there'll be five top ingredients. The first thing that I, that I would have done is I put myself in the shoes of a consumer and ask myself, what is it that consumers are looking for? And, and so the first thing is obviously to address what they're looking for. And I think many of the customers, as I said, they're looking not just for entertainment, as in seeing the animals and hearing my story, but they're also trying to understand, um, you know, trying to learn a new skill, such as getting a good understanding of ecosystems and global warming. So educational and entertainment would be the number one aspect of what's really important. But I think it's also really important to ensure that we're able to connect with the customers both before the experience and after the experience. And what I've done is I've utilized a range of artificial intelligence applications or apps where I'm able to connect with customers whenever they make a booking within 15 minutes after they've made a booking. And again, I connect with them, each and every one of them, 15 minutes after the experience has, has uh, um, ended. And this makes sure that they feel valued and which is, which is you know, really important to do so. Mm. And the third point I would say, Michelle, is uh, it's definitely to price it, what we used to price it well so that customers get value for money for what they're looking for. For myself, this is more of a side gig. But again, I want to price it in a way whereby anyone can afford to join an experience. Mm -hmm. So the beauty with online experience is that I'm not really kept to any single number. Um, the largest group that I've hosted was a group for about 400. So even if I was to make, say, $10 um, from each of the 400 participants, that would be more than what I would require in, a one, in, in one single farm tour. Yeah. So pricing would be, number, would be the third point. And the fourth point I would imagine would be to use vocabulary in a very local context. So many of my customers would come from um, the Northern Hemisphere segments. About 85% of my customers are American or Canadians. Mm -hmm. And I have a large number of Germans as well, followed by um, customers from North Asia and Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. So I'm very conscious of the fact that some of the terminologies are very different. For example, um, in certain countries, they are not familiar with the word paddock. So I'll use pastures and just being a bit sensible about some of the vocabulary that I use means that I'm able to connect with them and to ensure a high level of um, engagement. And last but not least is to have fun. It's always to have fun. So yes. I do encourage any of my visitors to take as many screenshots or um, screenshots or snapshots whenever they can of the cute animals and to post it online. So I've, I've, I'm really, really, really blessed in a sense that I've started a, an Instagram account just before Christmas last year. And I've probably had, have had at least 20,000 tags from customers around the world, largely because they have you know, taken lots of screenshots and posting this online. Yeah. So the high level of engagement is, is in place. Brilliant. 
That's amazing. So what do you think the visitors and guests look for when they're choosing a tourism experience like yours, Arthur? Yeah, oh, I'm not really sure if I've got the right answer here, but but I think I think one of the reasons why relatively popular with corporate organizations is the fact that I, I respond very quickly, despite the fact that we all work in different time zones. I utilize a series of artificial intelligence and apps to provide responses within 15 minutes of every single inquiry, but mm. also more to the point. Uh, but also more to the point, you know, uh, is the fact that I would try to make sure that. Uh, I'll make it work for customers. If customers are on a budget, I'll create different packages that makes it work for them from budget perspective. Yeah, and it's very rarely that I say no. Um, so I do try to make it work for customers. Wow. I think just to give you a bit of a shout out too, Arthur, your ranking on Airbnb is quite phenomenal. I think you're sitting at 4.97 out of five. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and, and I'm really, really fortunate uh, um, to receive this ranking. I think from memory, there's been just over 700 um, five-star reviews, and that's really helped to, to propel me to this certain level. Airbnb is quite stringent in terms of its ratings. And, and, and from what I've been told, if you were to drop below 4.7 or 4.6, this is where you might get into a bit of a trouble with the administrators that's it. I've been quite fortunate to have avoided that difficult conversation. And, and I think it just goes back to show that, <laughs> and I think it just goes back to show that um, if you provide a quality experience and you'll be genuine in what you do um, and to build a personal rapport with customers, even though it's online, you know, with a range of different apps and just being yourself, it, it, it could be achieved. Yeah. That's amazing. That's Arthur, true. how long is one of your tours? But how long do they tend to go? The tours, so the tours go for 16 minutes, uh, for approximately 16 minutes long. And uh, every one of each of these sessions is delivered live. I don't use videos, it's delivered live. Irrespective of the weather, I would obviously, you know, take the any of the paint desks across around my farm where I'll showcase them the use, the lambs. Right now we have the new season's lambs, our kuni kuni pigs, and our chickens as well. And this is where I'll tell them a bit about how I look after the farm animals. I'll tell them about the gestation period of a sheep, which they always find very fascinating. And of course, I'll talk to them about my red shaver chickens, which they are absolutely fascinated with the fact that you know, they lay anywhere between 250 to 300 eggs a year. Each of oh those my chickens. Goodness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you need to open an egg farm as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, There's so many sidelines. Yeah, so many sideline initiatives you can do here. Well, yeah. that's right. Oh, but and it's great fun having a farm tour uh, experience. I mean, it's it's that I've been on a number of farm tours, having been in New Zealand for the last thirty years, and, and I have to say, my farm tour is very different from the other operators in a sense that it is one person's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, that wraps up our chat this evening. So thanks for joining us, Arthur, and we wish you all the very all best, the best at the Tourism Awards. We're really excited to follow your mm. progress and, and see how you get on. I'm assuming you're heading up to Hamilton for the awards? Uh, yes, I'll be COVID permitting, of course. Yeah, oh, and yes. thank you so much for having me, Michelle and Lisa. Really you're appreciate welcome. the opportunity. You're very um, welcome and welcome. we'll post your details on our episode notes. For, so for the listeners um, that want to know how to find you, we'll have those in our episode notes. So look out for those. And I'm coming to see your tour. Yeah, 
our next guest is Jolanda Cave from Dark River Adventures and Naitahu Tourism. Dark River Adventures are finalists in the NZME Visitor Experience Tourism Award. Welcome, Jolanda. Kia ora. Kia ora. Can you tell us a bit about Dark River Adventures? Yep, absolutely. So Dark River Adventures is located in Glenorchy. It's an authentic New Zealand experience in some of the world's most stunning scenery. Our Manahuri customers can explore pretty much the untouched areas inaccessible by means of just uh, walking. They get to see the Dark River Valley, UNESCO World Heritage Mount Aspiring Park, the area features scenery made famous by heaps of movies, so Lord of the Rings, Narnia, Wolverine, just to name a few. And there we offer two distinct different experiences. So we offer an action-packed jet boat ride or a really relaxing drift down the stream. And also probably worth note is that we are owned by Naitahu, which is the largest iwi or tribe in Taiwan Panamu, which is New Zealand South Island. And as they were the first guides, Naitahu knows the best way to experience the dramatic mountain range. So their insight has really helped us to further enrich our storytelling and stuff like that in our experience. Wow, that's cool. wonderful. I'm obviously an ex-Naitahu tourism staff member as well. So I'm lucky enough you might to know it a little bit well, eh? yeah, the Dark River <laughs> a few times. And I have to say it is one of my favorite jet boat experiences around the country. And they're all very different. And I remember a lot of times people are asking what makes it so special. And it really is that natural environment. And down there, you it's yeah, you're just totally spoiled um the whole whole trip, aren't you? Yeah, it's one of those best kept secrets. Probably one of our biggest challenges is how do we make it not a secret because it is kind of one of those bucket list things that you will always remember. But yeah, pretty special. So what little pieces do you add to um, that environment and the jet boat experience to make it a really special visitor experience? I really do think it's about the storytelling because if you think about the environment itself, the scenery itself, it's just spectacular. Like it, in itself, it is stunning. Absolutely the fact that jet boats can get you to places that you can't get to otherwise to see even further stunning scenery helps. But then the experience, the storytelling, the you know, the the guides are just amazing. The passion that they have for the product really is just like the cherry on the top sort of go like that was an amazing experience. Yeah, cool. Wow. And how do you involve your team in developing the visitor experience? So, well, they love, they live and breathe it, right? So <laughs> that really helps in the first place because they've always got a lot of feedback anyway. Generally speaking, if, if you're working at DART, you love the outdoors. You're also probably really intrigued by the heritage and the stories that are there. We're really fortunate to have a couple of actual Naitahu iwi members that work for us. So they are our connection as well to the local iwis to, to learn more about the stories. Greenstones are a really important thing for us. So mm -hmm. there's a natural you know, affiliation to want to learn more about the Greenstone and be able to see how that reflects to our areas. So they actually kind of lead the way. I think they kind of um, always have something that they would like to try to enhance or a new story that they've heard that they'd like to see if we can incorporate it. So it's not too hard to actually make them part of it because I think they really live and breathe it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And what does the Tiaki promise mean in your business and how do you promote that to your customers as well? 
Yeah, I mean, the Tiaki promise is pretty, pretty important to us. And not just the Tiaki promise, I think just our actual sustainability strategy in general. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're a value-led company being owned by iwi so kaitiakitanga is exceptionally important making sure that we give as much as we take making sure that it's there for our children and our children's children so look when the tiaki promise came up we were probably one of the first to sign up it just kind of made sense we'd already started um, developing our own sustainability strategy for years DART has just done what it's done. Every year it plants a thousand trees. Every year it does all this stuff for the community. The drivers just naturally look after the environment. But it was about actually going, let's formalise it a little bit more and put a bit of structure to it. Mm-hmm. And the Tiaki Promise really kind of helps with that because you've got your key sort of guidance. What, what should be some of our KPIs? What should we hold ourselves to? At that time, it also made us make the the very big commitment of being carbon um, neutral by 2040 which is pretty scary I've got to say to be fair COVID's probably helped a lot with that but definitely looking at things like you know we we obviously operate jet boats in one of the most beautiful pristine parts of New Zealand so a big part of what we're doing at the moment is actually looking at electric jet boats Mm -hmm. which will be a real game changer for us and really sort of help us along that that 2040 commitment that we've made (laughs) Yeah. So how far away are electric jet boats, do you think? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think commercialisation of electric jet boats, you're talking a couple of years because yeah. it's something that you want to get really right. But we we already have we have our, our trial boat um, nearly ready to go. So we, we hope to be water testing by the end of this year. And that really just proves the concept that it is possible, that it is safe and that it works and then we'll Mm. kind of look at how we make that an actual part of our fleet moving forward and replace everything. So going a little bit off track here one of the (laughs) things that I love about a jet boat is when you jump in it it's the noise so if you've got an electric jet boat how do you I mean electric vehicles are so quiet how do you you know kind of or is that part of it that it is just a quiet fast oh, experience a, yeah would it be a very different experience yeah it will be, it will be a very different so we've actually had a lot of conversations around the table around that as you can imagine yeah surprisingly enough our jet boat drivers are the most excited about the electric jet boat <laughs> it was conversations around you know you can go down the bmw line where you have the noise of the engines playing while you go there will still be a bit of noise because of course you've got your jet units so yeah. You'll still have that grunt. You'll still feel the acceleration when you're going towards canyons or whether you're about to do a 360. It just will not be as powerful as your double V8s. But I kind of think it will add an extra element of Mm. acceleration because Mm. you you kind of don't know what the boat's going to do. I mean, it knows what it's doing and the driver knows what it's doing, but... You can't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's going to, it's, yeah. It's going to make a different experience completely. It may make it better in yeah. some ways, you know, because you may hear things that you wouldn't have normally heard if you have all that noise around you. And, and like you say, you're in pristine places. So to be able to have that serenity, but still have the power, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I forward to hearing more about that. Hmm. Yeah. So what's the biggest challenge, Jalanda, you face in delivering a world-class visitor experience every day? I think it's just making sure that that the team are engaged, which we're really fortunate that they are. 
they are they are the ones that deliver the experience every day the scenery does it for us it's there so as long as we do everything we can to preserve the scenery it's about it's about our kaimahi our staff really living the dream and feeling it and that, that there are no down days that every day when the customer comes back and is excited and so happy and they, they're going to tell their friends and everyone because they've come out going we thought it would be a great trip but it was bucket list our climate really absorbing that and going oh I want to do that again that's why I'm here that's why I'm doing what I'm doing mm, wow yeah that's cool and so what sort of training and how do you structure your training for your team to keep them engaged and upskilled with storytelling and everything that you're trying to achieve Wow, there's a lot of layers. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> so obviously the actual initial training when you come in and join the team, there's a, there's a lot of health and safety training, training just to drive the jet boats. And then there's the actual induction part of what we do and why we do what we do. And that starts from our senior team members who have been around for a long time and really passionate. We'll, we'll share some of the stories, some of the experiences. We've got some pretty strong commentary training and things like that but the best training is actually just getting out there and experiencing the environment and the customers and learning from that and then it's just an ongoing thing so every day the the team connect to say oh look I had these customers from Wellington they were really really invigorated by the story that I told about the Ponamu I think we need to talk a bit more about that Mm -hmm. and then they might go yeah you know actually let's get some more commentary we'll have a session next week and we'll all go through it so it's kind of a forever, forever evolving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year, for example, our huge focus is going to be around our Naitahu storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're obviously exceptionally um, lucky um, that we're owned by the Iwi. So there's a lot of stories there um, about the area that, that are unique to us. Mm-hmm. So we're engaging with our Iwi this year and actually having some training sessions with them around storytelling where the stories are shared by those that actually own the stories. So yeah. it'll be pretty cool. It'll be pretty awesome for the product just to enhance it that bit further. Yeah, mm. well, it just adds an extra layer of enrichment on top, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And really teaching our, our, our guests and our visitors some great culture, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 So why did you enter the Tourism Awards? So our, our major driver for entering the Tourism Awards was our um, Kaimahi, our, mm-hmm. our staff. It's been a really, really tough couple of years for everybody in tourism. I think when Dart really started to see the customers come back, the customer satisfaction was over the roof. The people were so thankful to be there, so mm-hmm. thankful to have done the experience. We had NPS ratings of 99 and 100. Oh. And every time mm-hmm. there would be a positive comment about one of the staff members, that you literally saw the glow on their face. So we're like, you know, they deserve this. They deserve yeah. to really celebrate their success, which has been pretty phenomenal in the last two years. So let's let's give them something. Even if it doesn't go anywhere, at least they know that we know that it was pretty awesome what we've done. Yeah. And the fact yeah. is you guys are a finalist. So that in itself is a huge achievement given yeah. that it was record numbers entering this year, we've heard. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I think that really blew the team away. They're already just humble anyway right like yeah. it's his natural personality it's why they're amazing at guiding things like that and 
that it blew them away. They were so excited. It was literally as though they'd won the lotto. And I don't think it matters what the end result is. I think being a finalist is really, really, really excited, regenerated, really enforced what we're doing is the right thing. So we kind of feel like we've won anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's great. What do you think the main ingredients are to create a great visitor experience? Mm. Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? I think having a unique area to visit or a unique thing to do, I think storytelling is a huge part of it, regardless of what you're doing. And you know when it's unique when you do it and your customers then start promoting your product Mm. um, and it's word of mouth. You know it's unique when people come back absolutely smiling from ear to ear going oh my gosh I'm gonna come back and actually come back so I think for myself personally probably you guys too you know like we've done so many activities throughout the country but there's still that really good handful of them that you go oh my god I tell all my friends about this because I literally can't forget it the passion about the from the owners the storytellers the experience it was just phenomenal yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say I'm on a a Facebook group full of travel agents in the UK. Somehow I got myself onto that. And the other day I was tagged into some photos that were shared from a famil that I brought down to New Zealand when I was living in London in 2002. And some of the agents popped up from that that I hadn't even spoken to pretty much since then. And they were talking about Dart River. So that longevity of the memories that were created at that time, and we're talking nearly 20 years ago, some people are still in travel, some aren't, but it really is a memorable trip. So It's cool, eh? I mean, we see it in our customers now where you've got the grandparents bringing the grandchildren through. Yeah. They did it when they were young and it was phenomenal. And it's like, that is that is seriously cool stuff. We had a familiar with Tourism New Zealand and the Tourism New Zealand host was in tears at the end of this. We're like, wow, oh, that's wow. Been successful. <laughs> You're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Happy tears, by the way. Happy tears. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, good point. Good point. I'm glad you clarified that. No. Yeah. <laughs> We did know. Anyway, well, that wraps up our um, questions today, Jolanda. So thanks so much for um, coming in and having a chat to us. And we wish you guys all the best at the awards in November. And we'll be watching on from the sidelines and cheering you on. And we encourage anybody who's listening who hasn't been down to Dart River to give it a go. It is one of the iconic experiences in New Zealand. And yeah, just something that you have to tick off your bucket list for sure. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Cheers, Fernanda. Well, that ends another episode of the Destinate NZ show. We really hope you enjoyed the episode and I'm sure you will agree with me when I say that Lauren, Arthur and Jolanda are all three very worthy finalists in this year's Tourism Awards and we wish them all the best on the awards night. Now, don't forget the competition that we have with Jolanda. So head to our website and just look for the competitions tab and it's really easy. All you need to do 
is tell us which is your favorite episode to date. And if you want to hold off to listen to a few more of the Tourism Awards episodes, you can do that because we're not going to draw this prize until the 23rd of November. So it gives you plenty of time to catch up on all of the episodes that we've released to date and to find a favorite in there. So also don't forget, so you don't miss out on any future episodes, make sure you're following us or subscribing to us wherever you're listening to this podcast, and then you'll get your notifications each week when our episodes come out every Wednesday morning. And if you haven't yet left us a review, we'd really appreciate if you could do that. We've had some amazing reviews and we really appreciate those that have come through. But obviously, the more that you review us, the higher up the rankings we go. And obviously, this is a bit of a side hustle for us. So we're really keen to do whatever we can to reach ourselves to the top of the charts. So thanks very much and um, good luck with the competition. Have a great week and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Ka kite.